Welcome to the Teaching Classroom 21, a podcast by the Ever Learner. I'm James, your host. Join me and my guests every week as we discuss, debate, and explore the features of a world-class classroom in the 21st century. Welcome to the Teacher in Classroom 21 podcast. I am delighted to introduce to you our guest today, Hendrik de Lange, all the way from the Netherlands, uh, just across the sea from where we sit today in, in Farnborough in England. Hendrik is a patent lawyer. He is an inspirational colleague. He's someone I've stood with in recent, in recent weeks and months uh, on a broadcasting course, which uh, we've, we've both developed in together. And Hendrik, I'm delighted to invite you and welcome you into our Classroom 21 environment today. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much for inviting Absolute pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, now then, let me let me get get started on this straight away. Um, how do you find yourself here today, Hendrik? Why why in Farnborough today? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I I was uh, I had several appointments here, and uh, I was mistakenly uh, uh, thinking that this weekend would be the graduation weekend of the uh, course we we followed together, which is only postponed to next week, and I didn't really check my uh, my planning well, so. Um, uh, that's when I, I decided to contact you to uh, come and pay you a visit. So even, allow me to use words which may not be fair, but even high-flying uh, lawyers sometimes get their diary wrong, Hendrik. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so Hendrik, give, a, a, lot of our, a lot of our listeners are going to be teachers, people working in education, people spending a lot of time within that kind of institutional setting. We're going to have awareness of the concept of patents, and we know what lawyers are, but, but what is a patent lawyer? What do you do? Uh, well, various things. Um, basically, I, I try to get protection for the inventions of my clients and to defend his rights. It uh, extends uh, quite a bit to the commercial part of it. Um, I, I go with clients to uh, potential uh, licensing partners, pitching, pitching licenses. This is not a, a typical patent attorney's job, but uh, I like it very much. And apparently I'm quite good at it. So that's a part of it. And on the other side, I also help uh, clients on the technical development of their inventions, which is also not typically uh, patent attorney's work, but also that I love. It is honestly the work in, in the middle, the, the work as a patent attorney per se, is, um, well, uh, maybe the least fun stuff. Do you consider yourself an inventor? Uh, I, I always dreamed to be an inventor. I made uh, several inventions. Uh, most of them failed miserably up till now. Would you be willing to share um, one of those examples? I don't mean to exploit what you would consider a failure, but what is it that you've invented? I mean, commercial failure or not, what are these things? Well, my, my first invention that was uh, uh, the uh, ice bottle. It was a bottle uh, completely made of ice. Uh, uh, sealed uh, with an ice cap uh, for uh, alcoholic and sugary drinks. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the fun fun part of it was like, uh, well, if you throw away the bottle, you throw away water. Quite uh, quite environmentally friendly. Um, but the the issues were that the product the product was totally not stable. 
it was impossible to get a stable. Uh, the big issue in it was like how to make uh, a bottle in a in a in a in a mold with an uh, yeah an open inside. Uh, that problem I tackled, but uh, still the product as such was uh, a technical failure. I see. So the stability, uh, am I right in interpreting from that? Let's take an alcoholic drink for a beer or something. It was destabilizing in the sense that the, it would it would uh, influence how the ice remained as ice or? Yes, correctly. Well, uh, normally you have a phase, phase equilibrium between the, the drink inside and, and the ice, uh, which is a phase equilibrium at a fixed uh, temperature point. Actually, there's no fridge in the world that has a fixed temperature point. It all has a, a temperature for a high... Like a range. A range, yeah. range of temperatures. And this range is, is uh, in the average fridge, uh, enough to destroy all the bottles within one night. Wow. So unstable was the product. So it was it was absolutely a technical fia- failure. Uh, uh, but it was fun, fun developing. And it was also my first patent at the age of 24, 25. Um, after, after really studying a couple of 400 uh, patent applications. Uh, fun being that, that you, you recognize that there's a sort of scheme in, this, in these applications. And later on, I found out when I started working at the European Patent Office that actually this whole scheme is uh, following a set of rules. It's, it's just uh, yeah, um, carved in stone in, in, in legal requirements. Funny thing is that the patent I wrote without knowing these these rules perfectly complied with them <laughs> that was really funny so that would suggest to me that those rules are based around concepts of professionalism common sense yes okay yes so it is it's it's very simple you have uh, you have uh, you describe the problem uh, you describe the state of the art you describe what is missing then you describe the solution and then you work out the solution in uh, a technical specification mm. and then you end with a set of claims and um and an abstract and all these patent documents are how say lined up like that so after you have uh, read through 400 of these documents uh, this this scheme is yeah is in your head i see give, give us an insight into your educational experience hendrik your schooling your background what's been your expert i mean you're, you're clearly a very educated man what's been your exposure to education well i i uh i did my my schooling uh on um uh, as an uh, engineer, chemical engineer, uh, on a technical university in Delft. After that, I did a uh, two years course on export management at the uh, Erasmus uh, School of Rotterdam. Um, then I worked a couple of years in engineering and I got uh, um, uh, a job at the European Patent Office where I did the internal education for becoming a, uh, a patent attorney. So you're teaching in that environment? Sorry, you're teaching in that environment. You mean? No, no, no. I I, I got the got the education for it. Okay. So it's uh, so I was the the victim, not the, uh, <laughs> the perpetrator. <laughs> That's an interesting way of wording it. <laughs> That's, uh, no, I I I I received the the teaching. I didn't uh, um, give it. So that was, um, but uh, um, yeah, and uh, and after that, I I did several commercial trainings. Uh, some of uh, them uh, with London Real, I see, and some some uh, 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 presentation skill trainings, and uh, so I've I've been educating myself um, actually all my life. So an autodidact in that sense, you feel your 
yourself teaching you feel you're educating yourself also it? also mm. but also in in uh, organized environments mm. like like london real mm. and uh, uh toastmasters is a is another one which one's that sorry the toastmasters is a um, an organization uh, mostly voluntarily based for uh, improving your um, uh, presentation skills speech uh, speaking in public i see public okay. speaking and how do you find that extremely good it's a, it's a very ca nice combination to have a course like the, the Speak to Inspire and the uh, Toastmasters. So would it be fair to say that you, you felt a need to do a course like that? And if so, what was that need? Oh, definitely. Um, uh, various parts. Um, public speaking is, is uh, actually a commercial skill. It's indispensable for uh, uh, giving commercial presentations, giving, trying to get uh, get clients, uh, uh, trying to get some information across to clients. Um, it is also a, a self-development uh, part. You're, you get more confident. If you get confident in front of public, you also get confident, more confident in conversations, in uh, human interaction. So it is, it's, it's, it's extremely important. Mm -hmm. and. I do believe that my education, and I think now it's different, my education was lacking quite a lot of these personal development tools, hmm. especially speaking in public, uh, human interaction, selling. It's um, most, of, most of the time, especially in the technical university, it's absent. These skills are simply not there. So w would it be fair to describe the, what was your educational experience then as very technical, very academic? Would that be a fair description? Yes, correct. And you feel that's, you feel there's a gap there? I would say yes, but I don't know the, the current education system. I think it is better in that sense. Mm. Uh, uh, but my education, uh, so for 20, 25 years ago, was uh, very much uh, on the technical um, topic then. Yeah, um, the, the human interaction part was actually missing. I see. Now we have designs in our work Hendrik things I've yeah. talked to you about before and presented to you ideas on we have we, we believe we create things yes. we don't think we can patent them as such but we believe we are creating a different model of how classrooms can be of of how the educational cycle and experience could be what's your interpretation of those ideas well, I, I do think that there's quite some protection on uh, the basis of uh, copyright law. Um, the Not only the episodes as such, such but also the whole setup. Uh, you can, can see it as a, as a program format, uh, something like, for instance, the, the Voice of Holland or the Voice of England. It's a, it's a, um, yeah, a format more than the individual shows, but still the format is so unique. Uh, and it is a result of, I would say, conceptual creative choices. So uh, that would be uh, protectable under the copyright laws. The nice thing of copyright laws is that you don't have to file anything. You mm. it 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 sort of automatically automatically um, 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 comes to yeah. Um, I I don't know exactly the wording, but. Uh, it is generated the moment you generate the content. It's coming along with the content generation. I see. Uh, it's not even necessary to uh, be public. That's the nice thing. 
the only thing is that you later on can prove that it was your conceptual conceptual idea uh, in case somebody is going to uh, copy and steal it. That's interesting. When we when we first started our work and when we first, um, for one of a better term, designed this classroom model, we considered without really going far down the journey a concept of patenting. We never did it because we didn't believe it was possible to to patent chairs and tables in a shape of a room that has probably been produced many many times before so there are times where we feel we don't have beyond copyright we don't have any real protection over our work one of the things that we we do feel we have is we have almost protection around the necessary conviction determination and commitment to produce something of that scale we think almost by its nature it it is limiting or preventative of others repeating that do you think that's a naive perspective or do you no because it is actually uh, uh, what your feelings are reflecting is copyright law Uh, it would maybe be sensible to write a sort of script about the way the teaching is done so not not on a on the uh, level of the uh, lessons as such but in general like how is a workflow going mm. very much like uh, how uh, a television program uh, format is is written that is actually uh, typically copyright law and indeed uh, the the chairs and the tables well it is a combination of already existing things without really a technical solution and a technical problem Mm. so it's very difficult to patent that okay i'm going to grab something yes one second people on the other people on the call i'm not going to edit this out okay so i'm going to go about three meters that way grab something i'm going to pass it to you wait one second okay well james is now indeed moving around and uh, grabbing something and i'm really really curious what he's coming up with because uh i hear some rumbling and uh, there he is. It's a, it's a booklet. So, so let me let me show you something. Get my headphones back on. So I want to introduce you to something, Hendrik. Yes. So if you can, we've got we both Hendrik and I have got Education Reimagined, the publication we we wrote uh, in 2017. I want you to turn to this page. It's it says on it. It says on the page. S, it, it's a big uh, equation. We may well call the podcast this. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> but it, it says S equals brackets FI times B times R over MD brackets multiplied by VT. What do you see when you what, what do you what do you interpret from that? If anything, and the answer may be nothing. Oh, if I only uh, look at the formula, I would say it's a, a, a success formula. I don't know all the abbreviations, um, but I, uh, if I read in it, it's, it's indeed success. Fascinating. Uh, but the other, the other parameters are not specified on the page. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the other page, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They run. So okay. let me let me introduce it. Let me introduce you to it. Um, we have. So we have uh, we have devi- we have defined this uh, equation. I actually have a misprint in my document. I don't know if you have the same thing. I have a a repeated page. I didn't know it was like that actually. Um, anyway, 
So this this equation right, uh, uh, minus minus correct. Okay. So I have we when we started studying the classroom in detail and and trying to redefine what a classroom could be, we we realized that you could actually place the reasons for success in a classroom. And what, what, when we say classroom, we're talking about in the broader sense. Yes. We we believe that we could place it into an equation. Now, and this is what we're looking at here, um, which somehow when listeners come across this, I'll make sure it's available somehow in the listing to yep. them. Um, it's not an equation which we encourage people to put numbers into because we don't think numbers represent human beings particularly well, um, or, or at least how their minds operate. Um, but we believe that these are all of the factors that cause students to be successful or less successful. And when we're working in our classroom and something goes wrong, yes. or indeed when it goes right, we come back to this equation for the reason. Okay. And now is your question, would it be open for a patent? I don't know if that's my question. Okay. <laughs> I just kind of wanted uh, to see your reaction to it somehow. I thought you'd be an interesting person to see it. And yeah. It is, it is, uh, well, let me give you some, some thoughts. First mm -hmm. of all, I, I, I guess this is not the first booklet you, you're giving out. So I think it's public. That's right. Well, then, then for that reason, it's m very difficult to obtain a patent because mm -hmm. then it's uh, actually not anymore new. Mm -hmm. But besides that, uh, there's a, a literal exception in the patent law. and uh, It is accepting uh, uh, mathematical equations. I see. So if you have an equation, whatever it represents, it is considered by nature a public thing. Mm. So not uh, prone to any protection, much like uh, average day uh, words are not not able to be protected um, because yeah, there's there's a monopoly would really hinder the development of technology. Now that works really neatly for us because the last thing we would want to do is limit the usage of this. Yes, our, yes. our ambition would be that this is used as broadly as possible um, and. We give this away for free, even though the the document itself, people can buy a copy of it to to keep on yes. a bookshelf or something. They can access it for free online. It's it's completely freely available. In fact, we'll be republishing it this year. Um, do you? I mean, this I, this may be an unfair question, Hendrik. Yes. How, how do you feel about the possibility of um, learner success, classrooms, young people being represented by a mathematical formula? I don't see that as a problem at all. It is uh, if I look at the patent field and especially the the way inventions develop over time, it's exactly the same as nature develops over time, as human beings develop over time, and the mathematical basis of it is actually uh, a growth model, um, which is exactly the same mathematical formula. So. We as human species are actually subject to mathematical formulas by nature. So uh, capturing any kind of development in a mathematical formula is, I don't see any problem in that at all. Very interesting. I, 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 I do uh, appreciate that a lot of people would think otherwise. <laughs> we, we've, we get a lot of grief for this. We, we've been criticized quite heavily for the, not really the content of the equation, but the fact we attempted it. Yeah. Um, 
But it, what's interesting about this, if you take, for example, the FI, yes. this means familial involvement. So this is everything from having a supportive parent or indeed having any parent yes. to having supportive friends, to having a, a communication network between a home and school, to uh, young people eating dinner around the table with their family on a regular basis, a bit like we did today. Yes. You know, we had our lunch together with adults and kids and the conversation went between. So that's wrapped up in all of that FI element of this equation. So even though it's a mathematical formula, yes. the content of it is incredibly broad yes, and incredibly diverse. Um, I, 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 would, I would insert in this formula the mm -hmm. number of elder brothers and sisters. Hmm. I'm the I'm the I'm the youngest. My brother and sister had both the same uh, secondary ac education, and just because I could listen and hear and see what they were learning, I'm pretty sure that made my learning a lot easier. That's uh, a really interesting point. A lot easier, and uh, and I was also uh, the one with the highest grades. I see. Uh, uh, even more funny that uh, when my brother and sister were already studying, that was when I was from the age of 15, I had to deal with my mother that as, as long as my grades would be in the A-level range, I could take off whenever I wanted, which is a very, very exceptional thing. When, when you said take off, what, what do you mean? You can go out and... Go out. My mother would write, uh, write a little note that I was ill. I would see. So you could, you could miss school, for example. Yes. Okay. yes. And it was, uh, my mother was in, in there. So I missed school that, that, uh, that age a lot. Uh, this is very unconventional and still now parents would not consider doing this I uh, for me it was extremely liberating I see so how much of school would you have not been present then under those circumstances I would say 20 to 30 percent wow quite a lot and you consider that to be liberating rather than limiting liberating definitely why yes. uh, well at that time uh, I had a, a free transporting uh, a public free, free, a free transporting car for public transport so I could go wherever I wanted I was uh, busy with a couple of hobbies uh, that time uh, uh, one of which was uh, my trains model trains uh, so I could go uh, to whatever trade fair there was on model trains another was uh, and that was more like my parents were busy with that uh, the genealogy so I could come with my parents to, to whatever archive there was. Well, they're only open at school days. And study study uh, historical documents for well, finding finding ancestry information. Uh, a really neat skill. I'm, I know how to uh, read uh, 16th and 17th uh, 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 century written language. Well, it's, it's, if you see it the first time, you can't read it. But I uh, I know how to decode it in, in Dutch. In Dutch, yes, mm. yes. There's some of it in Latin, but mostly in Dutch. Mm. It's a it's a funny skill. Uh, and uh, um, another thing was I worked uh, sometimes at uh, at uh, a thatcher thatch work. Yeah, for for roofing, you mean? Roofing, yes. Yeah. So I I have the skill of uh, I can thatch a roof. Well, for whatever it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> so this is really interesting concept. So. There was a standard set by your mum, which was you had to be a high grade. Let's call it high no, grade. No, it was not by my mum. Oh, okay. It was my proposal, and my ah. mum bought in it, into it. Okay, so you, so you went to your mum and you said, "Look, if if I'm at this standard, let's call it A grade standard or yes. high, high standard, then I'd like you to support me in being able to pursue the things that I want to do." Yes, correct. 
And you took that to her. Yes. At, at what age? 17, 16? Uh, 15. 15. And she bought into it. Yeah. Because you can understand from the, the parental perspective, it guarantees those grades. Yes. But my mother, uh, you have to realize that my mother um, ran away from school when she was 15. And uh, that must have been in the late 1940s. Yeah. Uh, I told you a bit about it uh, during dinner. Mm. Uh, she was in a very strict Catholic school, and she was uh, she didn't like it at all. So uh, so she started working at at the age of fi fifteen, permanently working as a, as a uh, well the youngest servant in a metal factory. I see. Uh, um, really, really interesting. She uh, yeah, she did the the, the entire administration uh, in the, yeah, in the post-war time. From a, a, a actually a Jewish founded uh, a metal foundry, and uh, yeah, that's where she learned uh, administration work. I'm going to ask what might be a difficult question here, Henry. Yes. But so, the, so the so the metalwork factory was Jewish founded, and it was in the late forties. Were yes. the people who founded it still present in Holland at that yes, point? Yes. Well, uh, th that was that was one of the problems. Uh, it was uh, for uh, as far as I know from the stories. Uh, uh, almost a communist-based uh, 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 factory. Uh, some of the guys were fled and returned, but almost all of them working there had lost uh, at least half of their families. Yeah. So there was also the atmosphere was kind of weird. I uh, uh, what I what I realized from the from the stories of my mother. Uh, but it was uh, uh, deeply social, almost communistic. Uh, and my mother uh, really, really appreciated the atmosphere there, and she was taken as a child, and and yeah, she 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 really really enjoyed it. Mm, that that's a really fascinating set of circumstances. Yes, I'd like to somehow open a window into that experience. I'd really I'd be really interested yes. to hear more about that. What that was like. I mean, it's hard. So, <coughs> if we look at the social history of that time and the five or ten years that led up to that point both Judaism and communism would not have been well thought of ideas for at least part of that, certainly why the, Germ the, the Nazis were occupying Holland. So it's kind of fascinating that, that that was the outcome, the product a few years later that your mother was working in that environment. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it's, uh, uh, but, but if you see the socialist party in the Netherlands was always quite uh, uh, occupied by Jewish uh, people. Uh, uh, till now, the major of Amsterdam is coming originating from the Socialist Party, and it is sort of a tradition that he is always from Jewish origin. Mm. It's more a tradition than, than that it is a rule, but it's, uh, yeah. I have to understand Holland more as a country. It's a place I've visited many, many times, and I've said to you many times, enjoyed being in, but it's, it's a place that is. It has a lot of depth, I think. I it is. Know. It is extremely difficult to understand, yeah. even for me as a Dutch person. Uh, it's a lot of layers, right? Yeah, the the the, the layers and the, the the columns of all the separate religions, although they are now sort of uh, almost gone. Uh, we have uh, quite a new set of of columns, and these are more like the origin columns like you have more the northern african and the turkish and the, uh, i would say the indonesian and the 
yeah, these kind of uh, separation. Also, the 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 Suriname is a big big group of immi immigrants coming back after Suriname became independent, mm -hmm. and the level of integration is, I would say, uh, growing slowly but still meager. So, there's uh, Holland is a very very complex society, but I think England is the yeah. same. It yeah. is it's it's uh, and it's even for people from from the country sometimes don't even grasp how complex the situation is mm. and I, i'm right in believing that I, i'm we're kind of off the top of education yeah. here because <laughs> i'm just interested personally yeah. but uh, i'm right in thinking that the typical governmental structure in holland is a coalition right yes okay so generally speaking because I, I i remember speaking to dutch friends in the past and my understanding of the dutch political system is that you have a much broader range of representatives for quite specific sets of ideas and and um and ways of and political ways of thinking we, yeah in, in Britain we have the blue and the reds and a bit of the yellows and occasionally another one yeah it looks to me like in holland things are much that there's much more choice much more diversity in the choice yeah, it's, it's 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 now reaching a level that it is almost uncontrollable uncontrollable if you see coalitions from three four five parties mm. It is very difficult to make decisions. Do you see Dutch people yearning for what I'm going to say in inverted commas, stronger government, as we claim that we have in this country, for example? Mm, it's very difficult to speak for the Dutch public, but uh, um, I would say no. Oh, okay. I would say no. It is. It is. Uh, if you look at our uh, prime minister, he's, uh, I think, a very talented and skilled skilled person. Actually, the right person on the right place. Um, What's his background? I think he is uh, uh, either history or economics. Okay. Uh, I think he studied in Leiden, but I'm not 100% sure. Leiden's up in the north of the country, right? No, no. Leiden, Leiden is, is uh, um, uh, above The Hague, okay. I would say. So uh, between, so between be be The Hague and Amsterdam, okay. roughly. Yeah. Um, he is, uh, I think he's from 67, so he's a little bit older, older than me, uh, but but he is, uh, yeah, um, he has an absolute talent of not being hurt, politically hurt, and that's uh, that's what politics is nowadays a bit like, like uh, yeah. trying to hurt somebody instead of uh, uh, winning on, on uh, yeah, an argument on, on, on um, good argumentation. Interesting. Now I want to pick out a word you used twice. Then yes, you used the word talent. Yes. What is that to you? Let me ask a different question. Yes. Let me put it in this context. You are a very, what I would describe today, a very bright, educated, red, considered, linguistically diverse individual. Do you consider yourself? to be smart, intelligent, talented, do you think that is the reason for that? Or um, how, how do you see that? Well, I, 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 I think that uh, uh, some things I'm pretty good at, it is, is collecting and storing information mm -hmm. uh, combined with an extremely curious mind inquisitive uh, non-fearful in doing experimentation and and that leads automatically to some skills to some level of talent and and if you say what what is the word talent that is just 
being very good in something. Um, mostly that is because you like it, what you do. And uh, um, there's also some, some, some skills I'm absolutely lacking, and I'm working on those. Okay. Are you willing to share what those might be? Well, well, some of it is, uh, I explained to you earlier, um, off the microphone, like uh, cooperation with other people uh, has some, um, how would I say, um, psychological backgrounds, uh, why I uh, fear cooperation with other people, uh, basically because I subconsciously allow myself to be obtaining a role of a sort of uh, the smaller person, the yeah uh, subordinate, and that's a role I hate. But I find myself every time again in this role, both in um, private or intimate relations, uh, business relations, family relations. Uh, the interesting thing is that I see this all throughout my family, uh, uh, family members choosing the same role. It's ingrained in uh, several generations of my family, both from my father's and my mother's side. And I see both my brother and sister struggling with the same issue, each on their way. Do you think it's biological or do you think it's learned? I think it's learned. I think I think it is a subconscious decision making process that you can reprogram and it is not even that difficult to reprogram i think but i think it is it's it's learned and i think you can unlearn it it's really interesting so f that makes it controllable for you yes i do agree uh if i see that my brother and my sister each take their individual uh, choices in trying to get rid of the role we all hate so much and we enter in every time, in various situations, various roles, always interacting with other people. It's a, it's a, it's fascinating, and I'm, I'm also very happy that both my brother and sister have this insight that they, they do not like it and that they want to uh, repair it. It's do fascinating do because it's a, it's a, actually it's a break in the tradition of the family. And do you discuss it between the three of you? Yes, very much so. Hmm. Which is which makes it. Uh, more relatable. Uh, we 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 are we don't agree on the way how to tackle it, but each of us is being busy trying to get rid of it. I'm the youngest of the three, but uh, I think my brother is the f the furthest. Uh, then comes me, and I think that my sister is lagging behind, although she's the eldest. But in uh, acquiring knowledge how to change this but it's a, it's a fascinating i would say journey and uh, also the last courses and uh, the things i do really help uncovering some ugly layers in this process uh, past experiences and um, yeah historic events that already showed off this choosing of this role or allowing yourself to be pushed in a certain role so it's a, it's a fascinating process it is fascinating and uh, it's funny you use the word journey there because i was also going to use the same word i was yeah. actually it sounds like you're on a journey it sounds like you're deliberately taking that journey and others around you are doing yes do you know what, what, what motivates this just to feel happier just to 
to fit to, to gain a feeling of change where's where's the drive for this coming from well i see uh, in my brother my sister and also in myself that there's uh, a lot of um spilled talent um and uh, uh, that should not be spilled i see i'm going to make a provocative statement yes. to you hendrik it's deliberately potentially going to be something you're going to disagree with okay but i just i just want to get your reaction you may not disagree yes. you may disagree in my world talent does not exist okay full stop and the reason i hold that view is not because I am against the concept of talent that some people are wired differently, that some people are structured physically differently. That's clearly the case. Um, you're a taller person than me, for example. It's quite probable that you, if we played basketball together and you played, we both played as a strong forward, you would probably dominate me because you can reach higher, you can be taller, you can yes. do those things. But here's why I reject talent from the educator's pers um, pers um, perspective. I cannot influence it. So for that reason, I take the idea of intellectual ability, for example, yes. and whether it's 10% true or 90% true or sp probably something in between, I reject it completely because then the only things left in my frame of vision and work are things that I can influence and things that I can control and things that I can change, albeit not always about me. And, and I see the world that way. How, how, what do you feel when you hear that? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a different viewpoint. Um, I would say um, you should address talents because uh, if you, if you stop valuating talent, everybody has talents, and um, it is it is makes life more. Um, uh, it more fun if somebody is working in a field that is related to his talents. Mm. Uh, what you say, like uh, tall guys playing basketball, um, uh, short guys uh, being jockeys, uh, for instance, uh, um, um, uh, to give some some examples. Um, so, so I would say even in education, uh, giving people uh, uh how would i say uh, selecting people on their talents or uh, using their talents to to reach uh um yeah I, I would say um higher levels of achievement is is a good thing so it is it but the problem is that the moment you start to give a value on talents then you can also decrease people that have less talents to nothing yeah and that's that's the, that's that's the issue that that the moment you start to uh, 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 value, for instance, intelligence as a higher uh, value than muscle power or, or, or dance or or, or, or or whatever, it is it's then it it becomes uh, very ugly. And then I agree with you that you should not be giving it too much value. But but. To push people towards their talents is not a bad thing. Mm. I'm really interested in how you see the word talent. For me, I see the word talent as an innate ability to do something. Yes. I think that what you're talking about potentially is passions, what somebody loves. Yeah, but they, 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 they most of the time align. That's also interesting. Because they align. Why? Because that what you're good in you find fun and that thing you that you find yeah. fun you're good in 
and it it is it is uh, it is uh, uh, enforcing itself. Mm. So it's a, it's a positive fo- feedback loop. So yeah. it's very difficult to separate talent from uh, 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 skills that you like mm. or, or things that you like. And we when we do have a hierarchy of passions or talents or whichever word we choose, because there's n- there's not a school on this planet that values something like any kind of movement over mathematics, for example. There's not one. Nope. Not, I think it's very interesting to highlight that and to ask why. Yeah, I do agree. I do agree because there's no reason to say like um, your um, body motional expressions are of lesser value than your uh, um, scientific capa- capabilities. I think it isn't even. And, th- and of course it will have a scientific framework to the movement, of course. That's yes. the irony yes. of it. Yes, but it is. It's, uh, that's also true. Um, what I what I uh, uh, see nowadays is that the skills that I'm learning, that I see that I'm lacking, are all skills that were in the traditional education system highly undervaluated, and uh, in the real society they are as at least as much value as. Uh, having a good uh, uh, degree on math or uh, mm. science or chemistry. And a good example is that speaking in public, right? Yes, definitely. Able, or definitely. to express oneself in any format. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and you are, of course, a podcast host, Yes, uh, Hendrik. And anyone's listed this, I really recommend they have a look at the patent guy, which I have had the, the privilege of appearing on on one occasion. Yes, thank you. And I, I loved it. it was, I actually learned a lot from my experience. I learned a lot from the way that you presented that show. Yeah. So, So you clearly have for want of a better word, forced yourself into an environment which you are traditionally uncomfortable with. Yes. Publishing, broadcasting, making vlogs. Human interaction. So you're really out of your yes. comfort zone. Yes, but it is, uh, it's good to stretch your comfort zone and it's also good to see that even there are maybe the fears that I had so long. And this whole education system, it's m- maybe a fascinating point of view, is a perfect place to hide from these fears uh, especially the traditional um, university degree uh, education system uh, um, yeah there you can hide for a long time being good at specific skills that do not need much interaction with other people and it is the uh, the interaction skills that are actually uh, maybe more important are you happier now uh, yes, definitely, and I'm I'm still discovering lots of uh, things about myself, about um, my culture, about uh, the future. Yes. Okay, I'd like to ask you about the future, Hendrik. In many ways, I'm competing with a magnificent question you asked me on the Patent Guy podcast. Yes. About that question was about my grandparents. Yes. So I'm going to try and give you my big question here okay Okay. so they've given it the build it's probably not going to work um so i'd like you to project forward yes i'd like you to go forward five years and i'd like you to share with us one thing about hendrik in five years time that you are absolutely determined is going to be the same as it is now and i'd like to share with us one thing that in five years time you are absolutely determined is going to be different about hendrik now okay uh, well, the same would be um, uh, a 
this is a funny answer but the same would be the frequency I was surfing with last year that I uh, wouldn't change for anything uh, that's that's part of my non-academic expression uh, it's part of uh, having lots of fun you said surfing right surfing you kite surfing oh kite surfing sorry kite surfing yeah, yes. Okay. yes it is it is uh, it's a, a, a very very old hobby for me to to play with kites on the North Sea you do this Yes, on the North Sea. Um, kiting was, uh, before the kitesurfing was possible, was quite a solistic, nerdic hobby. Uh, and when you could finally kitesurf, it's suddenly uh, quite an heroic kind of sport. But uh, it, it, I was, I was, uh, I think, one of the first guys in the Netherlands who had the whole equi equipment. Uh, and the only reason that I had it so late, I think it was in the late 2000, uh, was because I didn't know that it was there before. <laughs> Else I would have had it uh, earlier. Um, no, I, I, it's, it's, uh, it's a passion of me. And uh, that I would, would, would like to be the same in five years, but also in the next 40 years. A passion or a talent? It is both. It is both. It is... Uh, uh, it's. I would say it's more a passion than a talent because there's way more talented guys, especially the young guys, <laughs> who have less fear. Um, but it is. Uh, yeah, I love it. But it is also weird. It's. it's uh, and then uh, then I stop about this topic. Uh, I I'm always the guy sailing the highest upwind. Always. That makes you the fastest. No, it's. Uh, it is. Uh, in a weird thing, then I can oversee, overlook the field, what I is see. happening with the other guys. I see. And it is, uh, by nature, that is where I want to be. It is weird because it is a sort of leader position. And that's uh, that's a weird thing. Hmm. I only realized this lately because there was, there was a description of a wolf pack. And you see the... The, uh, the, the responsible wolf is always the one behind to see everybody. It's fascinating because it's it's a total different role that I take nowadays in human interaction. The total opposite. It's fascinating. So it's. Uh, and the one thing you you'd like to be different. The one thing that I like to Sorry, be different. You're determined to be different. Uh, that I have uh, uh, eliminated the fear of being in a specific role the uh, that I don't allow myself to get in in the role of the subordinate anymore and uh, by doing so having built a successful company in cooperation with others the things that I now still fear a lot the last seven years I've, I've been working basically alone in uh, cooperation with with uh, another patent attorney firm that did all the administration and the um, how would I say all the contact uh, billing with the clients, I was only the the I say the substantive uh, um, um, intermediate, and uh, with my uh, accountant who did all the financial bookkeeping, but it was me alone, no boss, no employees. And that uh, is greatly limiting my abilities to 
develop what I want to develop. Very interesting. Final question. Yes. Could you share with us your experience of education and learning in the broader sense? Whose classroom did you enjoy being in the most and why? That's a very good question. I have to think about this. I must say that from the contact with the classmates, I very much enjoyed uh, London Real classes. Very much. Uh, a very uh, different kind of people, but all in a stage of development that they are voluntarily entering a schooling system. Other than the schooling systems before that were less voluntarily, I would say. Um, from a learning perspective, I think it was the uh, Dutch uh, education for becoming a patent attorney. Also because I suddenly recognized a lot of things that I already learned in the various roles that I played before. And uh, I think that's, that's, that's really uh, why I learned so much. I, I've been already uh, having a license on a patent. I've worked as a patent examiner. I filed my own patent, so I have all the various roles, uh, except for the patent attorney role, and uh, th that was that was from a learning perspective that was great. But from the classroom experience, yes, I think the London Real courses. Mm. Is it, it's worth as I think just giving a little insight into the London Real courses. I mean, it's effectively an online structure. Yes. Um, you and I have studied together in these environments. Um, we're part of a team or a group within a cohort of about a hundred students. We're in a subgroup of about 20, 15 to 20. Um, and effectively we study eight weeks and yes. we hold one another accountable to the tasks that we must complete within those eight weeks. And it's not just an accountability mod model, but we also support each other yes. in making those. So it seems to me like the important, from the way you've described, the important thing there has been the group structure. Yeah, I, I, I think I can add to it that, that there's a huge bonding because it is suddenly a structure where people have to expose themselves. Mm. And this exposure comes with a lot of vulnerability. And this vulnerability comes with a lot of social bonding more than I ever experienced in education. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that. It's it's the the uh, uh, stepping into the fear of exposing yourself. I think that's that's the that's the, the core issue. It's funny because it comes again on to the skills other than uh, social interaction skills that are so lacking in our traditional schooling system. It's f fascinating to see that it's actually maybe that would also would bond better in education. Really interesting, Hendrik. Yeah. And, I, and I have to say, for me personally, 
I think what we're doing today, and we've spent the day together today. We yes. we've had lunch together. We've we've shared family life together. It's been really nice, and that's come out of that experience, yes. come out of that London real group experience. So, for for me, it's a it, it's a real privilege. It's a real honour to call you a friend. Um, we've appeared on one another's podcast yes. now, which is also some kind of nice symmetry for us. Um, and I, I also want to say thank you as well because I think what you've shared in this discussion today I think is a very very honest vulnerable I agree and useful series of commentaries and descriptions of I think what a lot of people experience the challenge being out of the comfort zone having to self-educate having to self-teach and I think it's really interesting from uh, the perspective of uh, a profession which I guess broadly I represent the teaching profession the educational profession at least within this context yes. where so many people feel um, tired stressed um, undervalued and I think what you what you've described today is someone who has sort of like a a, a model of ownership and accountability over oneself of finding the issues and looking to solve those issues and finding models of going and, and, and moving into that kind of painful, difficult area. Yes. I think that's really inspirational. Yes. Well, it is. It is uh, uh, maybe I have always seen throughout my life the value of knowledge. And I, I was never keen on getting high grades. I was always keen on getting the knowledge. And I still am in and outside the education system. And that's that. That is the. It, it, it's a sense of curiosity, but also a, a sense of valuating knowledge. Hmm. Uh, knowledge is, is 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 potential power. I would say knowledge is only power if you use it, but you you have to have it before you can use it. Hmm. Someone said to me on one of our shows, a gentleman called David Dydow said we asked him a question. He's very much have knowledge at the heart of the educational cycle because a lot of the time in the in the modern commentary we will actually devalue knowledge as not being as important as say collaboration or technology or something like this Um, and his view is if you don't hold knowledge you cannot think about that concept knowledge has to come before thinking in any other framework about any series of concepts and I think it's a really important reminder to us can only agree on that yes I think for us working in education, I think that's a really important reminder. We we know it and it's obvious, but sometimes we can forget how how as you said powerful that that knowledge development and generation actually actually is. So Hendrik, I want to wrap things up here. I want to say a massive thank you to you. You've yep. you've crossed the sea to be here, which thank of you course is really really appreciated. And uh, you know, for me personally, I know this is going to be this the, the, you know well I guess now the second conversation of what is going to be a much longer collaboration and conversation going forward so i thank you very very much i also introduce you to the to the uh, listeners that we have on the show Uh, i encourage everyone to go and check out the patent guy podcast some really fascinating stuff in there especially my episode (laughs) (laughs) and uh i I, once again really thank you for being here and wish wish you the very very best going forward okay thank you very much for being on the show and i really enjoyed it thank you that's great